Hey guys, welcome to Startups of the Week Season 3. I'm Sophia Kanthara, and I'm here with Owen Thomas. Hey. And Alex Wilhelm. Hey. And this week, we'll tell you about a company that says it makes the world's most comfortable shoes, a startup that could help bring voice commands to your meditation session, and a company that alerts its customers like Netflix and IBM when their technology is malfunctioning. That's all coming up on Startups of the Week. So first up, we have Allbirds, which is a shoe company based here in San Francisco, and it's trending this week because it just opened pretty recently a new flagship store in New York. Well, they already have one here in San Francisco, which is their headquarters. So this is a shoe company. Is it a startup? Yeah. So it's a it's a pretty new company. It started in March 2016, and they opened up their flagship store in 20, spring 2017. Um, what I think is pretty interesting about it is a lot of... I mean, we've seen retail, a lot of retailers scaling back, closing up their brick and mortar stores, but um, Allbirds is actually in the expansion mode. So they've had this store in San Francisco for a little over a year. Um, and they they did have a different New York location, which is kind of a, a temporary one, but this is their new permanent flagship in Soho. And they are planning on expanding to Boston and Chicago next, and they said there will be future locations planned. But they, they kind of fall into our, our startup definition because they've raised venture capital, they're investing very quickly, and they're trying to do interesting kind of technological things with shoes. So they've raised um, $27.5 million, uh, from people you've heard of, like Tiger Global, uh, Mavron, and Larry Hippo, which is a New York-based uh, VC. So, you know, they fit our category. They're not doing software, like a lot of stuff that we talk about does. But um, for people who don't know, if you uh, don't hang out in, I guess, Silicon Valley, and if you don't, smart move. Um, but all birds are essentially the, they're a de facto status symbol, if you will. People wear them. They're so like they dressier they, than sneakers, right. they're, but they are more comfortable than dress shoes. But they signal that you're you're inside the culture, if you will, of Silicon Valley, that you know what's going on. Because like the first people to wear these were VCs. And from there, they kind of spread, I feel, into the uh, more common culture. So they're the Patagonia fleece vest of shoe wear. Right, which is why if you see anyone wearing them, you can judge them. But, I mean, they've, they've become very popular. They've grown out of that niche because they're just they're very popular. People just like to wear them. And so. I mean, is, for venture capitalists, is investing in a consumer brand, which is very trend-driven and, you know, they're cool now, but they might be kind of passe in a year, is that, is that a safe bet? Well, I mean, it's venture capital. Owen, is anything really a safe bet? Uh, I, I would hazard no, but we've seen VCs pile money into all sorts of non-traditional investments in the last cycle. I mean, like think about um, not bonobos or uh, Blue Bottle, for example. Mm-hmm. There's a big push into coffee. A lot of VCs like bought parts of restaurants. It was, it's been a weird cycle. I'm yeah. not surprised that a shoe company can raise twenty-seven and a half million. There's lots of money and not enough ideas. I hear from a lot of <laughs> investors, so maybe this falls into that category. Can we talk to them about how they make these shoes? I was reading uh, the article that's going to be up uh, when this podcast is live, and there's a phrase that just that stuck out. It says, um, "For adults, runner, lounger, and skipper come in wool or tree, tree." Tree, yes. What, so that what is, does that mean? So tree, it's made out of eucalyptus tree fiber. Um, so what the two things that Allbirds, I mean, they brand themselves as the world's most comfortable shoe. Um, but the two things that they're really pushing in their marketing is that they're very comfortable and they're also eco-friendly because the material- These shoes are vegan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight edge vegan footwear. You, you could say that. <laughs> um, so the materials that they use is like they have- um, 
the eucalyptus tree, which is one of their, if you want to get like their sneaker styles, it comes mm-hmm. from that or wool, which is um, merino wool from New Zealand. Um, and they also just introduced a sandal, which is, they call the material sugar because it's sugar cane based for hmm. the soles. Um, so they are pushing the very much like we are eco-friendly. We, they, they develop these new materials, the wool one. That's why the, um, when it, when they first introduced this product, that was, they're like, we developed this new material and it's, I believe they're washable too, machine washable. Um, they're so lots of, runner. there's, there's lots of kind of practical and ecological reasons, not just style reasons, why you might prefer Albert's. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like this, but I like a lot of things. I think it makes good sense when the market is strong and the economy is good. I'm curious about how many of these things we now kind of appreciate at the top end of the market will make as much sense as they later on when things are a bit less rich and frothy. But certainly, Albert's has been killing it. I see people wearing them all the time around here. So. And if you, you know, if like 80% of your portfolio is in like photo app startups you know maybe <laughs> maybe you want to sprinkle a little money into a you know just a straight up consumer retail brand i mean or if your money is in a lot of enterprise SaaS, maybe you want to invest in one thing you can touch right one tangible thing and also yeah. it's cool to invest in a consumer brand because you see people wearing them you can point to that i put money into that company whereas software just lives somewhere on someone else's cloud yes not quite as uh, as point to wibble if you will. So much for the uh, for the physical tangible part of this startups of the week. I think we've got some uh, some software companies and app makers coming up, right, Sophia? Absolutely. So um, second, we got Alpine AI, which was um, acquired by Headspace recently. And Alex, I understand you use Headspace. We want to tell us a little Headspace. About that. You're talking to the talking about the meditation application for your phone. Yes, I'm a Headspace user. I think I've mentioned this on the show back when. A rival company raised money, but I'm a paying Headspace customer, actually. I paid like $95 for a year of Headspace. Um, and as a pretty spastic person, I find that meditation is uh, a calming thing in my life when I do it. I don't do it enough. Um, but what is Alpine.ai? What is their uh, their product? So they are, you know, they connect people, businesses using voice technology, um, like with Google Home and on mm-hmm. Amazon Alexa, which we can, like, have become a lot more popular recently. Um, so they're kind of in the business of that, like voice technology. And actually, they used to be called Voice Labs. Hmm. So should we kind of expect then that Headspace, which is an app that I currently interact with by you know tapping the screen, could become an app that I kind of uh, speak with? Maybe I tell Headspace like you know please play five minutes of calming meditation or anxiety focused me- meditation. I guess that's where they would go with this, right? It's kind of they acquire the technology. From yeah, that, I so. mean, th- I mean, if they don't do that, I'll be surprised. And uh, was the was the price disclosed, Sophia? No. So I would say typically when a price is not disclosed in a deal like this, it is probably a smaller deal financially. And uh, they may just have been after Alpine's talent. And AI talent is very hot in Silicon Valley right now. It's hard to find people. And you see, you know, bigger companies, even smaller companies snapping up, you know, tiny startups purely on the strength of their talent. So that might also be what's going on here. Also, it could be that Alpine.ai, it's always very hard to say, .ai, uh, struggled to raise its next round because their only known round that we have in Crunchbase, actually, is from May 2016, and we don't have a dollar amount attached to it. But that's been over two years, and companies tend to raise in the VC world on an 18-ish month time frame, so they're a bit late. So to see them get acquired now fits roughly with the profile of a firm that was either struggling to get the price they wanted or just couldn't raise enough money to keep going as an independent concern. So you find a, a home, yeah. if you will. And Headspace uh, is big. I mean, it's one of the bigger applications that I know of, at least. But still uh, still privately held. 
Yes, yes, to the best of my knowledge, absolutely. But I mean, Headspace dr- drives tons of revenue, and I presume it amazing margins because I don't think it costs too much money to create new meditation packs. But we, we pay quite a lot of money for them, so. It's one of these companies that may not have to go out and and get much new investment because they're running at you know such a nice revenue rate from customers, which is a good spot to be in. Yeah, it's a testament to how big the App Store economy has become. I mean, when the App Store came out in, oh, and help me out here, 2008? Because the Correct. iPhone came out in 2007? Okay, yeah, it's good. a decade <laughs> I did not forget my iPhone history. Um, that's it's roughly half your life. Uh, a third. <laughs> a third of my life, thanks. I wish it was. I wish it was half. Uh, but Headspace has raised uh, to date seventy five point two million dollars, putting it kind of in a whole different class of of startups. They can certainly afford to buy some smaller firms if they want to. And in this case, brilliant talent bought on board. Um, but if it is a talent acquisition, to your point, I'm sorry to ramble on here. Uh, then maybe it's not to integrate the technology into Headspace proper. But I would love to talk to the app in the morning when I'm trying to make it work. That'd be a lot better than pushing buttons in the dark. Yeah, sometimes these things are not one thing or the other. It's it's a bit of product and a bit of talent, and you know that's you often get a better deal than if you know um, the, basically the the financiers are just putting a dollar amount on engineer. I've heard like one million or two million dollars per engineer in these talent deals. So that means that if I spent twelve million dollars buying your startup, I would get twelve engineers. You're thinking about six the, to the, twelve. Six yeah. to twelve. Yeah, that's it's expensive. But I mean, yeah. you know, one we could talk about the talent war in Silicon Valley every single week on the show and not run out of material because it it is chronic and it is amazingly just. It's it's worse than people expect, I think, to hire engineers out here in Silicon Valley. Well, our next company just got some financial firepower to hire a bunch more engineers. Sophia, uh, who is that? So that is PagerDuty, which just received a $90 million million in Series D funding. Um, That happened the first week of September. Um, So now the company's saying their valuation is about $1.3 billion. Wow. Another unicorn, which is any private company worth more than a billion dollars. And this is, uh, they were called unicorns back in the day. And by back in the day, I mean three years ago, four years ago. Do we have a new term for them? Um, Just companies? Yeah, just companies now. (laughs) But they were called unicorns because the idea of a company that was still private becoming worth a billion dollars was shocking. It was a weird historical anomaly. Companies used to go public much uh, younger in their life. Uh, So unicorns, which are rare mythical beasts, ergo unicorn companies, now there are hundreds of them around the world, um, mostly in China and the United States. But now they're kind of commonplace, and here is one more. One more in the herd. Well, what I find interesting about PagerDuty, Sophia, can you describe, you know, kind of in a nutshell what they do? Yeah, so basically, I mean, the simplest way to put it is they send companies information about their technology. So mm-hmm. they have some pretty Like the status of their, of their servers, their data centers. Yeah, like if something their... were to go wrong, you'd get, you know, an alert, that kind of thing. Um, and they have some pretty, like, high-profile clients. IBM, Capital One, and Netflix are among their clients. Um, and they're in tune in what's going on with their tech. Yeah. But, so, Owen, I think you have a point coming up here. What is it? Well, I think if you if you think back to the 1990s, um, the... Is this one of those Owen history rants we're about to get totally, into? It is totally. It's... Owen history button activated. <laughs> So back in the 1990s, if you had a company like this, you know, there were information technology monitoring companies. A a lot of them, HP bought one, IBM bought one. They generally didn't remain independent. They had to get acquired. And the reason is that, you know, selling this stuff was hard. It was software that you had to download and install. It was complex. Um, It required an established sales force. So, you know, you had to sell out to kind of get access to a big enough market. It's interesting, these these companies that do one thing really well, I would put PagerDuty in kind of the same category as, say, Slack. Like, PagerDuty notifies you about problems with your technology. Slack lets your 
team communicate. Back in the 90s, we would call these things point solutions, and they would not last as independent companies. But we're seeing these companies last now and raise more and more money um, and you know, possibly uh, position themselves to go public. We've had several kind of enterprise software companies uh, similar to PagerDuty in general, you know, not doing the same thing, but in general profile, go public. I think a couple things are happening. It's um, software as a service, SaaS. Uh, they make money by selling subscriptions, which is a lot. Uh, it's a lot less complex to sell that. You can. You don't always need a salesperson, um, and also integrations. All of these things have application programming interfaces, meaning you can plug it into other software you have. You don't have to swap it out or like use one thing or the other. Like go all IBM or all Oracle. You can just plug things like PagerDuty or Slack or you know an Atlassian tool like Jira into other stuff, and it clicks together. So I, I think it's a really interesting trend. Um, but there are a lot of reasons why these companies that would not have made it um, long in the 90s are um, are raising more and more money now. Well, I mean, the, the fun thing about this press release, and we were talking about this before the show came out, when PagerDuty raised its round, what it did was kind of tell you a lot about its business. And many times a company will raise a new set of funding and tell you nothing. Not their valuation, their employee count, their revenue. In this case, we kind of got everything. And so uh, underscoring Owen's point about these companies managing to stand on their own, in PagerDuty's notes about its new round, it said that it crossed the $100 million Mm -hmm. ARR milestone. Now, ARR is annual recurring revenue, which means uh, kind of the the extent of your your SaaS monthly income times 12. So whatever your monthly recurring income is times 12. Owen, can you make that simpler? People out it's, there who it's don't what do you, finance. It's how much revenue you had in a month that you don't think is going to go away. Times 12. Making it times the 12. annual number. Why they can't just say our most recent monthly revenue was X, I don't know. It's because if you take monthly recurring revenue and multiply it by 12 to get annual recurring revenue, it sounds better. Because if you say, I've got $8 million in monthly recurring revenue, not impressive. But $100 million in annual recurring revenue, right. it's very a, impressive. It's a bigger number. And, and you know, Sophia, you know Silicon Valley is all about the future. So they don't want to talk about the past 12 months. They want to, <laughs> they want to project out. Um, but they also have 450 employees. And they have offices around the world, right? Yep, in you know San Francisco, Seattle, Toronto, Sydney, and London. Headquartered here, though. Yes, headquartered here, but you know I guess Seattle's the only other U.S. location. But yeah, they're in Canada, Australia, and the U.K. So. I, I wonder if we'll see them in you know kind of the top fifteen, top twenty employers in San Francisco very soon if they're already at four fifty. Well, they have the capital to go for it, and also if you look at their investor list, there's some names in there that we all recognize. I didn't know that Excel, Andreessen, and Bessemer. And I'll put money into this company. And what that tells me is with that kind of financial backing behind you, it shouldn't be impossible to raise another round if they have to. But Yeah, they, I, they get, they've got lots of high-powered, uh, highly-powered investors. High powers with deep pockets. I mean, it's not a bad combination of things. But, you know, at some point, they should just go public, right? They now have this, all this new capital to put another three, four quarters of growth, clean up the books. And then uh, I would love to see an IPO for this. I would love to look at the numbers and not just read uh, a release. Well, the the flip side of getting to a valuation like $1.3 billion is you make yourself uh, harder to buy. So they're less likely to be an acquisition target because who's going to pay up that that much money? Um, quite possible, though, that, you know, someone like, uh, you know, someone like Amazon, which has a lot of developer customers using their Amazon Web Services, might want to, you know, like really bake this in to everything they do. And also strategically deny competitors Microsoft. like Microsoft and Oracle 
access to the latest and greatest features. Yeah, because Microsoft and Amazon are locked right now in a, in a stiff battle for the kind of the future of cloud computing. And Microsoft recently bought GitHub for oh, I forget, was it seven and a half billion dollars? Yeah, I, sh- I I should be cautious in saying that they're too expensive to buy because Microsoft and Amazon have some money. Yeah. Um, but can I throw in one last note before we close, which is a lot of companies go public to prove to customers and potential customers that they're big and they're going to last and they're a company you can really invest your resources into. This press release sounds like that to me. It's saying, look at how big we are. Look who we have money from. Look at our revenue level. We're not public yet, but you can trust that in 12, 18 months, we're going to be here independently and not dead or acquired. I I think it's a pretty good flag to wave if you're not going to go public, but still want to have that kind of public level credibility. Absolutely. Well, Sophia, this is a really interesting mix of companies this week. Thank you. And we'll have three more really interesting companies coming up next week on Startups of the Week. Thank you for listening to Startups of the Week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Read more startups coverage at sfchronicle.com. And crunchbase.news. I'm Sophia Kanthara. I'm Owen Thomas. And I'm Alex Wilhelm. And this is Startups of the Week. <laughs>